listeners, tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at 7 p.m. I play some groovy 60s, 70s music and talk about far out cars. I'll bring you up to speed on some bitch and car shows, swap meets, and vintage racing. So join me Wednesdays at 7 p.m. on the Tam Talk Radio Network, AM 1340. Listen to my interviews with special car guys, racers, builders, customizers, and collectors. We'll discuss cars, auction, values, restoration, project cars, and parts. We'll have feature cars. We'll talk about test drive reviews. And we'll include topics on boats and planes. So tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Hey, listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. See if you don't think this is the most exciting car in America today. Know what makes this car so exciting besides its obvious style? It's the Corvette's not-so-obvious engineering. The things you feel but don't see. The things that led Car Life magazine to award Corvette its coveted Engineering Excellence Award. Here's what Car Life magazine says about the Corvette Stingray. The Stingray has a chassis and suspension system years ahead of contemporary sedans. Bold in concept, thoroughly tested, meticulously manufactured. Handling has been vastly improved. The car is much more stable at any speed and thus safer. Chevrolet engineers assigned to the Corvette project have done an outstanding job. We unanimously vote them Car Life's 1963 award for engineering excellence. The fact is the Corvette is a specialized machine built for people who want the ultimate in driving. The cars that keep Chevrolet going great in 63 at your Chevrolet dealers. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Got a great show for you now. We got a very, very, very fascinating guest on later. This guy is an amazing guy, an amazing history. And for all you Chevrolet guys, his name is synonymous with Chevrolet. And yes, that's right. I'm a Ford guy, but I'll tell you what, we got some really fascinating Chevrolet guys coming on from time to time. Run to your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com. Be sure and check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com. Like us on Facebook. And if you've missed any of our past shows, you can also go to our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com, and you can click on Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you can visit all our past shows, which are all archived on our podcast. So that's pretty cool. We like that. But anyway, well, we've had some amazing weather. It's definitely boating weather, so there's not a ton of car shows going on here locally. But I'll tell you what, there's this uh, website. It's called FloridaCarShows.com. It's actually pretty cool. And uh, if you go on there, and let's say, for example, you go under Shows and Events, okay, you click that on, and then voila, 
you got all these shows that just popped up. So, for example, this weekend, June 22nd, Madeira Beach Benefit Car Show. Okay. I mean, these aren't national events, but these are local shows, regional shows, basically. So they're a lot of fun. You've got one coming up in Tampa, which is kind of interesting. It's called the Summer Slammed and Stanced Car and Bike Show. Supposedly, there's going to be some TV people, so you guys might want to check that out. Don't forget, every Thursday, we've got Quaker Steak and Lube. That starts around 5 o'clock. That's in our own backyard. Just a bunch of good stuff on there, so be sure and check that out. Also, our good friends over at uh, Ruth Eckerd Hall. This week, I think they've got, uh, well, a couple days ago, I think they had uh, Billy Idol was over at Ruth Eckerd. Okay, this weekend, I think they got West Side Story, so I think that's uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if you guys are really into theatrics, which is kind of cool. It's really neat. Of course, they made a movie of that back in the 50s. And uh, next week is Blast Friday, okay? And we got the last one for the summers. And I think the band will be the Robin Zander Band. And Robin Zander, formerly of Cheap Trick, uh, lives here locally in town. Now, if he's in the cars, we're going to definitely try to get him on the radio show. But we won't know until next week when we bump into him, hopefully, in downtown Clearwater. So be sure and check that out. If you've got any questions about any of the events going on at Ruth Eckert Hall, check them out at RuthEckertHall.com. Next month, I think we've got... Uh, ah, 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 ah. I tried that last week. Am I any better this week, Cedric? I don't think so, Robert. Yeah. All right, let me try that one more time. Ah, 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 ah. I don't know, something like that. But anyway, so so Tim Allen will be at Ruth Eckert Hall next month. And uh, we're going to try to get him on the radio show because he's definitely a car guy. And then uh, another one of our guests that was on the show here not too long ago will be at Ruth Eckert Hall in the fall. And that is Larry the Cable Guy. So uh, how are we doing on time there, Cedric? Uh, you can take a couple minutes. I can take a couple minutes. Yeah, why not? Yak, 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 yak. Now, see, now you, would you, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that I could actually be lost for words. But, uh, so let me go back here to, uh, floridacarshows.com. And, uh, cause if I get into a story, the story's going to take forever to get, to, to get from point A to point B. So let me just look on the schedule here and see what kind of cool events are coming up. Of course, next month, let's see, what do we got going on? There's, uh, let's see, August. August is some big stuff going on. If you guys can make it out west, they got the big, uh, big deal going on at Bonneville Salt Flats. Okay. That's the speed week out there. That should be pretty exciting. I've always wanted to go to that. I've been invited to that, but, uh, it's a long trip. And then also running about the same time is the car show of car shows which takes place out on the West Coast. This is the one that's definitely going to be on everybody's bucket list. The Monterey Car Week. That's a lot of fun. That is probably, if it got down to this, the Bonneville and Monterey Car Week, if they're a week apart, you could do it. But if they're simultaneously the same week, same dates, you got to go to Monterey Car Week because that's just you just can't explain it because that's Pebble Beach, it's Monterey, it's the whole Carmel Peninsula. It's, it's uh, auctions, car shows, cars, 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 people, 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 people. It's just amazing, and, you know. And plus, it's the vintage races at Laguna Seca, so that's right up my alley because I'm a vintage race car uh, enthusiast. And uh, let's see what else is going on. Oh yeah, Hot August Nights is going on in Reno, Nevada. That will be also. I think that's the first week in uh, August, and then the week after Monterey, or yeah, going on in Michigan and Detroit is the Woodward Dream Cruise. In fact, if any of you guys tune into Q105. You've always got uh, Mason Dixon, who's always talking about the Woodward Dream Cruise. So that's uh, something you might want to put on your bucket list, too, as well. So let me think here. Oh, yeah, let me jump back to some of these car shows. And uh, let's see. They got uh, July 20th. They've got Supercharged Summer Nights Car Show in Brandon. They've got the Fiat USA Open Car Cruise in Seminole. Is that Seminole, Florida? Yeah, I got to check that out because, uh, hey, you guys are finding this out just as I am because I just clicked on this a second ago. This says, hosted by Fiat USA uh, and a couple of late model car dealerships in Lake Seminole Park on Park Boulevard. So for all you guys that have the little uh, Nuovo Fiat Cinquecentos, 
you might want to check that out. Um, that's right there on the website. That looks kind of like it might be some fun. Hopefully a lot of uh, pizza and spaghetti and uh, a pasta and some other good Italian eats. And uh, you never know, some vintage Fiat's might show up. Some old Fiat 500s, some Fiat 600s, even a uh, Multipla, which is the extended limo version of the Fiat 600 for all you guys that are really into the old vintage Fiat's. There's a few of those running around here. Matter of fact, Fiat actually had some pretty cool cars back in the day. They actually had some very, very rare designed Fiat Gias. Sports cars and sedans and out of the uh, 50s and 60s. Some of those actually had V8s, and they were very, very rare cars. And I think most recently the, I think it was called um, the Fiat Supersonic Gia-bodied car. Very rare. But it was Amelia Island last year. That car sold for over $1.5 million dollars that was a cool piece i think there was only like a handful of those made and it was like a two-owner car uh, very interesting history and um but anyway that looks like that'd be kind of a fun show what was the most expensive car you ever had <laughs> is that is that a loaded question well no i mean over the years i mean probably the most expensive car that i ever had probably was my 69 boss 429 i mean the record on that car is five hundred fifty thousand dollars. that's what they sold for it was a friend of mine's actually out in fair jackson in 2006 is when that car sold same year that they sold the uh, Super Snake Cobra for $5.5 million. It'll be interesting to see what happens here at Monterey uh, because that's going to set the tone for the rest of the year as far as values. But the very, very, very high-end exclusive, you know, Mercedes SLs, Cobras, the Ferraris, the Maseratis, Porsches, those cars are all multi-million dollar cars. And, and it just doesn't seem to be an end inside as to where those values will stop. But for the average guy looking to drive the average Mustang or Chevelle or Goat or Roadrunner, those cars, you know, twenty dollars to $50,000 is about the money on those cars. So they're still affordable. They haven't really jumped all over the board. So you just got to find a good car because there's a huge selection of those babies out there. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Hey, we'll be right back. We're going to take a commercial, and we're going to have this uh, amazing interview coming up. So I won't see. I actually I gave you a clue early on. It was a 1963 Corvette commercial. I missed the clue. You missed the clue? Probably so did a lot of other people. Anyway, we'll be right back. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72, plus another 9-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. Hi, this is Jay Leno, and you're listening to my favorite, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the afternoon. This gentleman is synonymous with fast Chevrolets. He's well-known in the world of NHRA, SCCA. He's the founder of Motion Performance, the father of the Baldwin Motion Chevrolet. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this afternoon, Joel Rosen. Joel, are you there? I'm here. So how are you doing this evening? You're down here in Florida, too, with the rest of us, aren't you? Uh, yes, and today at least we're enjoying the sunshine and warm weather. Why I don't? Not in Baldwin anymore. <laughs> not in Baldwin. Where exactly in New York is Baldwin? Is that on Long Island, or is that it's for the not, north? Yeah, it's on Long Island. It's huh? on the south shore of uh, Long Island. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about how Baldwin Motion came to fruition. As a matter of fact, let's go back a little further. How did you get involved in cars? Well, um... I kind of started working on my own cars, and uh, 
I did get a, a, I was always into mechanical things, and my father got me interested in that, and then uh, he bought me a car for graduation, which I thought was a pretty rare car, because it was a 55 Olds, and it had a factory stick in it, which nobody ever heard of, and everybody was buying the hydromatic. And um, I screwed around with that a whole bunch, and uh, did everything from, oh, Three, three carburetors at the time, three Strombergs, uh, uh, to uh, a McCullough blower, and at the time, Thomas Rockeroms, and all the other kind of stuff that you fool around with, changed it to a Caddy LaSalle box, and et cetera, et cetera, and uh, went in the Air Force and got a bunch of background on how to turn wrenches right as an aircraft mechanic and a flight engineer, and... Um, then it went from there. Uh, I had graduated high school very young, and I was in college at 16, so um, that was pretty early, and I, and I felt that uh, uh, actually I wasn't really ready. I don't think I was mature enough for college, and that was when I went to Air Force, and I came out, went to college for a while, and then decided that um got to make a decision on what to do, and then I... Uh, Went to work as a uh, mechanic and uh, got a job up in upstate New York in uh, a place called Lock Sheldrick, which is in the, if you will, the Jewish Alps and uh, the Catskills. And uh, that was my first experience of having a shop. And uh, while I was up there, I met a fellow who had a high-volume gas station in Brooklyn, and he said, hey, why don't you come to Brooklyn, and, and when you come back, come back to Brooklyn, and, and I'll uh, I'll make you my junior partner, and blah, 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 and all that. And so I got there, and uh, I uh, found that the gas station was right in the middle of Bedford-Stuyvesant, which was later known as Fort Apache. <laughs> Not a great place to be, but that's where I started. And um, started working on a bunch of different cars and then went out and bought myself the first uh, 63 Fuley that came into New York and uh, started running that. And the rest is sort of history. I uh, took it out to the drag strip. There was an eighth of a mile at Roosevelt Raceway, which is a, you know, a uh, horse race track. It was anyway. And uh, they were in the eighth, and I went out there, and and here I was with uh, closed exhaust and my new fuel-injected whatever that nobody else had seen. And I, before I went out there, I bought a set of Atlas Bucron tires, which was the first of the soft street tires. And lo and behold, the first thing I do, I am end up running for Eliminator, street Eliminator, and I come up against a... Uh, 409 425 which was the king of long island and he's sitting there making all kinds of noise and had open headers and all that and i'm going zoo zoo through my mufflers <laughs> and of course the corvette which had independent suspension uh that nobody else really knew anything about at that time and then with the soft tires i got out on like you know like three, four cars, and uh, I beat them. 
And on my way back to the pits, all of a sudden I become surrounded by a whole slew of people. Um, and, uh, you know, from there on, we went, I had put motion, the word motion on the fender and, and shoe polish. Um, and everybody knew about motion from that time on. And I became very, very good friends uh, with the guy that I beat, who went by me like, you know, unbelievable at the top of the eighth. But I got there first. Well, that's what that's what matters. You won. Well, let's go back. Yeah, and... Before before that, I had actually done some sports car racing with a uh, '58 uh, Corvette that that uh, uh, we bought, and and actually we got married with that car and went on our honeymoon with that car, and I I ran a hill climb. And uh, I was up again in the uh, upstate New York, and I belonged to the sports car club, which was the SSSC and BDS, also known as the South Shore Sports Car Club and Beer Drinking Society. <laughs> and uh, that's that's true, too. And um, I ran this uh, hill climb with that, purely. And um, up at the top of the hill, I was doing a, over 100 miles an hour, and uh, driving with my foot and not with my head. And I ran up uh, an embankment. I hit a tree uh, again at over 100. Um, flipped in the air, rolled in the air completely around, landed on the wheels, thank goodness. Uh, all I had was a seatbelt that I took out of the one of the C-119 aircraft I used to work on in the Air Force. <laughs> and I had no roll bar, and I landed on the wheels. Um, so that was my early history of how you don't drive. And um, then we started off with the 63, and then in the 63, I progressed on to, I had a chance to buy uh, a Cobra, a real Cobra, not the Mustang. And I bought that, and I built a dragon snake out of it. With Shelby's help, and I ran with factory kind of verbal help, all done. I was the only company in the country that was working out of a gas station in Bedford-Stuyvesant and had an open account, dealer account with Shelby, where the orders were placed on a payphone at the <laughs> end of my gas station amazing uh, yeah amazing is, is right <laughs> well let me ask and, uh, i started to get a bunch of people started to come to me because i started and i uh, investigated what a dyno was and i was you know had pretty much one of the early i was one of the only two dynos in long island uh, i'm sorry in brooklyn and um uh i started to race my car we had a wednesday night race at this Roosevelt Field. We had a Friday night drag strip at Islip. We had Saturday and Sunday at either West Hampton Speedway or later on National Speedway. And I was racing my Corvette, driven to the track and winning consistently driving to the track. Um, and I got a lot, of, a lot of mileage under my belt and a lot of people knew about motion and they brought their cars to me down in this place in Brooklyn and um, used to tune them. And people coming from all over because I had a dyno and, 
you know, people like to see the wheels turn and, you know, me working on the car as though it was running. And, and uh, I, I had a fortunate uh, experience with a, being able to get friendly with a guy who was one of the very early experts on an oscilloscope when nobody knew what an oscilloscope was. They thought it was the television that was broken. And uh, I learned how to read engines by looking at electrical patterns and running them on the dyno. And so that was my early history until I moved out to uh, Long Island. When you were back in the day when you were road racing, how did the road racing thing start? Was that just something you just thought, hey, I saw a friend of mine do it, I jumped in the car and I did the same thing? Or did you have a. Uh, my brother in law, actually, my brother in law, who uh, I'm still extremely friendly with and worked for me here at the model business that we're in now, um, had a uh, Healy with a VET engine. And he belonged to this club. And, you know, so I went to some meetings and I got tied up with these guys and I got really interested in what they were doing in terms of the uh, gym canners and hill climbs and that kind of stuff. And um, uh, there, as I said earlier, that I was driving the 58 with my foot and, of course, I totaled it, you know, up there at that hill climb. And then later on when I got to 63... Uh, that handled like it was on rails in comparison to the old solid, solid axle Corvette. And I won the overall Long Island Sports Car Club championship. There was a bunch of clubs on Long Island and a lot of events. And um, Did you ever race the car up at Montauk? Uh, no, that was Bridgehampton. Oh, Bridgehampton, okay. Bridgehampton was a track. I did run it at Bridgehampton. Um, I did run it there, too. Um uh, but uh, mostly I ran uh, hill climbs and uh, and Jim Canis. When when you bought the Corvette, the Fuelie, um, did you change it from fuel injection to carburation, or did you play with the fuel injection and oh, leave no, it fuel no. injected? I I was like the resident Brooklyn expert on fuel injection. Okay, because nobody else knew how to work on it. So you know, I uh, was your fifty eight a fuel injected car, or was that carbureted? No, the fifty eight was a Fuelie also. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. 63 had the one with the big doghouse on it, and, mm -hmm. and then uh, you used to be able to uh, change the fuel mixture by um, turning an Allen screw that would adjust the fuel mixture on the fuel injection, and I invented a little thing that looked like, um, if you remember the old days when, when GM had the window cap type of distributor. Yes. Where you had to stick an Allen key in the points. To set the dwell. And, yeah, and, and, and you would buy this tool that looked like a cable with a screwdriver handle on it. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I, I welded a Allen key onto the end of this cable and ran it through the dashboard under the car. So while I was running, I could actually adjust the mixture and make the car run better. Oh, no kidding. So, How innovative. Uh, that was one of my first uh, inventions. Uh, and and then, again, back with the 63, someplace I read an article about this company called Tungsol in New Jersey that came out with a electronic ignition that sounded like it might be very interesting. And I went and I bought one, and it turns out that was the absolute first forerunner of the capacitive discharge ignition. 
And here I was running like a 50,000 spark plug gap, which was unheard of. Uh, and the car ran amazing, really amazing. And the name of their ignition was a Motion EI5. And that's where I got the name Motion, including the style of my lettering. I took it off the box of that ignition. Interesting, interesting story. <laughs> You're getting all the old stuff. Yes, that's what we want. That's what our listeners want to hear is the good old stuff, the good I, I actually have an original brand new one in the box in my clothes closet at home. And I managed to find one on eBay, which was unbelievable. Wow. And um, actually, uh, Ertl, who is one of the companies that I licensed to make die-cast model cars, uh, motion cars with made a model of my 63 Corvette which was called the skunk because I had a big wide white racing stripe running from the bumper the bumper over the top on the roof and everybody called the car the skunk and I used to have the motion on the fender so they made a model of my Daytona blue 63 coupe with a white stripe and they made the motion when what looked like shoe polish on the front fender. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. That was a real neat model, which I have. Of course, I have a couple of them. Well, now, let me ask you this, too. You mentioned that you got into the Cobras. Now, going back to your sports car days, what made you decide to go with Chevrolets versus Ford or Chrysler? Was it just because you liked the Corvette, or was it you thought the Chevrolet was a good motor? Oh, I loved the Corvette. After okay. I had my 58, I was totally sold on the Corvette. Okay. Um, and, and then uh, after the accident on our honeymoon, which, of course, didn't make the family very happy, uh, me being, uh, you know, a new newly married guy, everybody pressured me to, get out of the, you know, racing type of streetcar, which was, I didn't want to hear, but I did bow to the pressure, and I got an amazing Corvair Monza. Corvair <laughs> Monza, the opposite extreme. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, four, you know, I guess it was three or four speeds, and, and uh, you know, had multiple carburetors, but every time I would get on it and i power shift it, it would throw the belt off, which they were famous for. Yeah, because they came up and made it a 90-degree on the top of the motor somehow or some weird deal. Yeah, it was really it was really weird, and, 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 and it was just sickening. And, uh, what, what? yeah, my wife just walked up here and said, you've got to be talking about the Corvair. <laughs> <laughs> and and Judith, my, my wife's grandfather died, and uh, we were a little behind the funeral procession traffic, and I got on it, and I lost the belt. Oh my! And then let's go into his funeral. Didn't make the funeral, and I said, "That's it. Ain't gonna happen anymore." So I went out and I bought a beautiful Honduras maroon '62 Fuelie, which back when you could buy for about four thousand dollars, and I had that for a while and ran some hill climbs and gym counters. And then when the '63 came out, I said, "That's the car. I gotta have it." You know, I mean, the, the, the suspension was just way ahead of its time. And uh, and I started racing that in everything from hill climbs to Jim Canis to drag races to, you know, uh, road race. And 
and the whole thing. And um, then, as I say, the opportunity came by to uh, to buy this Cobra, which I which I got, and um, ran that. And it was a hell of a car. I set some national records with it, and um, um, we won the Canadian Nationals with it. I toured it quite a quite a few places, and I. In particular, I went down to South Jersey. There was a really nice and very, very well-known track um, called Atco at the time, and that was major Ford country. And I went down there, and here I am, like a Chevy guy driving a Cobra. But down there, the Cobra was like, everybody was absolutely nuts over the car, and they set up some match races for me with match race Chevys and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and it was just a, it, the car was a ball to drive, besides being a winner. Did you get a chance to uh, road race that car, or did you strictly drag race the Cobras? No, I just drag raced that car. I didn't, you know, I took it to a couple of Gymkhanas, but nothing, you know, not not very much. Okay. Um, did, what, now, share with us some of your thoughts, uh, you know, because you've done both now. You, you're Mr. Chevrolet, but you, now you've, you've worked on this Cobra back in the day. What were some of the comparisons, the pros and cons versus the Ford versus the Chevy small block back in the day? I mean, honestly, you know, because a lot of guys always want to know, you know, and there's always this bench racing debate that goes back and forth between Ford and Chevy guys. And quite frankly, I'm a Ford guy, so I'm real interested. I'm real curious. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, first of all, the Cobra was, you know, such a much, much faster car because, you know, we were talking about a dragon snake, you know, with the Webbers and all that kind of stuff, which, mm-hmm. which I had to learn, and I did learn. And uh, then I had the opportunity to work on a bunch of Cobras that started coming to me because there was nobody else that was working on Culver's. Uh, and th- again, this was down before I moved out to Long Island. Um, and the Cobra was really, the Cobra ran much faster than the Corvette. The Corvette was in the 11s, so, whereas the, the, the Corvettes at that time were running, you know, 12.5s at absolute best, 12.6s, 12.9s around there. So it was, it was quite an experience uh, driving that car. And, and the car, because it was so light and it was aluminum, you felt like you were running nines driving the car. Uh, it felt much faster even than it really was. So the advantage was really the fact that the, Cor- the Cobra was lighter than the Corvette, not so much that the engine produced that much more power or about the equivalent. Well, I would say they were pretty equivalent in horsepower with the fact that I had to have a carbureted one. Okay. Um, and they were probably really, really close because the... The four-barrel one that came out of Shelby, if I remember, was a 270. And, uh, you know, and, and the Corvette was like, you know, 360, and I would say we're probably close to that with the Cobra, uh, except that it weighed a whole lot less. Mm-hmm. And um, it also, I mean, it got out like a rape tape, too. I mean, it just, you know, you put a set of slicks on there, and it was just gone. So uh, it, it, it ET'd really well. Now, in the, in the old days, we used to say that every 100 pounds on a vehicle was equivalent to a tenth of a second. Did you guys use that same formula, too? And would that hold true between the Corvette and well, the I Cobra? I don't know about ever using a formula. I, re, I used to read time slips. You know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever, they, whatever they said, if it was, if it was less, I was doing the right thing. You know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, that was also, you know, tuning it on the dyno and all that stuff, and everybody used to, you know, watch it on the dyno, and they'd get all excited and all that. And, 
you know, and then and then came the day where the residents down in Bedford Stuyvesant started to shoot rather than talk, and because uh, it was a tough area, and so I said I got to get out of here, and you know, while I'm still alive, and uh, so I moved out to Long Island. I was lucky to find this place in in Baldwin uh, on a major highway called Sunrise Highway, and uh, which became my testing grounds, and uh, it was situated where I, I had a very long, you know, drag strip, if you will, from my shop to the next town, and all the cops really liked me because they were interested in what I was doing, so I would just tell them, that, hey, I'm going to make some runs, and I used to get the opportunity to race the car before it ever, or cars, you know, customers in line, uh, and, and try them out, you know right there on the highway, uh, as well as on the dyno. And then, you know, then this thing with, uh, just had the idea while I, you know, in the early days, I, I moved out there in 66, I opened up in 66, and then 67 came out, and I had the idea that if all these people were coming to me from different places, you know, Connecticut and New Jersey and all of that stuff, uh, to do all these things to their cars, why don't I see if we couldn't make a car uh, brand new? And and Chevrolet was, you know, of course, the most popular, as it always was. Why don't I go and make a uh, approach a Chevrolet dealer and see if they're interested in maybe doing some cars and selling them brand new with whatever the customer wanted? And so I was fortunate enough that I had... Baldwin Chevrolet, a couple of blocks away from me, and also fortunate enough that the parts manager, who is still today one of my very good friends, uh, was a high-performance parts manager and hot rod. And he talked, he helped me, and, and he helped a lot, talk the owners of Baldwin Chevrolet into this thing. And I did a regular plan and an outline and you know, and one and one A and one B and all that, and this is what we'll do, and I'll lay out the advertising and all that. And at the same time, I had also had the opportunity because people were coming with high performance cars. Is that this fellow by the name of Marty Shore, who again is today my one of my best friends um, since since Brooklyn actually, and um, he was the editor of. Cars Magazine and Rotter and Stupasock and Speed and Supercar, and he lived 10 minutes away from Motion, so it was very convenient for him to um, just come in to me and do articles. So, you know, he and I put this advertising program together, and, uh, and it was born. And um, I guess the rest is history. Well, tell us a little bit about some of the cars that you guys built. I mean, you started out with the Camaro, but you also did Novas, you did Chevelles, I think, you did uh, Biscaynes or Impalas, and then ultimately yeah, we, Vegas. We, we, we had the Fantastic Five, which was the Nova, the Chevelle, the Chevy, the um, uh, the, um, the, Bis, the uh, Biscayne, and and the, the Corvette, and the Camaro, and later the Biscayne. Of course, that that went away. Um, and really there, what we were doing, we were just taking factory 425 horsepower cars and modifying 
you know, the solid lifter engine that came in it, um, which was which was a really nice package, actually. And um, later, the uh, fifth became the Vega. Mm-hmm. When the Vega came out, I, you know, I, I started doing these, and then a fellow down in Texas, Don Hardy, who became very well known for them, he started doing them, and you know, we uh, that thing really took off. Uh, we uh, we sold a lot of V8 Vegas, a hell of a lot of V8 Vegas, and uh, amazingly, though, this I don't know right now where there is one real one that I could say is actually a motion Vega. There are some around that claim to be, but um, to my knowledge, they're definitely not. Well, now that brings up a good question. How do you authenticate a genuine Joel Rosen Baldwin Motion Chevrolet that was well, actually... I have a lot of the original records. Okay, that's good. I don't have 100% of them, and I tell people that when they want me to document the car, but I've got a great deal of them. Okay. And and then, you know, besides doing that, uh, I can look at a really good set of photos that are taken of things that are done on the cars and tell whether uh, it's something that we might have done. Uh, you know, there are just signs that I know of that, you know, that, that would tell me that we worked on the car. Uh, and then you, you have the opportunity if you get, you know, if you get the hooks into the, what they call the NICB reports, uh, it's National Insurance Crime Bureau, which you used to be able to get into very easily, but now you have to know some special people in law enforcement and, and see whether the car was a car that was delivered to Baldwin Chevrolet or to one of the dealers that I know that we got cars from. Okay. But your so, cars your cars specifically don't have a special serial number or a data plate or anything like that on them. It's just because there was your cars that you built, and then there were cars that actually came in, me, the private individual. I could have brought you my Chevrolet from someplace else, and you would have put motion performance parts on it, but that doesn't mean it's an original motion right, Chevrolet. Right. Okay. And, and, those, and those cars are bringing that we worked on are bringing considerably more than if somebody did the work, let's say, in a backyard uh, or, you know, somebody's service station or something like that. Um, but the ones that are worth the money are the ones that we built and delivered new. Okay. What would you? What is the total production run of genuine Baldwin Motion Chevrolets that you built throughout the, the course of the, uh, the run of the cars from 68 to, let's say, 74, the Vegas? Well, you know, as the CIA guy and I know said to me once, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. Okay. <laughs> I'll buy that. I'll buy that. So, right. so the, the thing is there that, uh, you know, if, if we divulge the number, people will stop looking. Right. I got you. And, and people are, you know, uh, we, we have an awful lot of, documented cars. There's quite a few of them out, out there now. Um, but if we came out with a number, we, you know, there's always been the feeling of, well, myself and from Marty Shore, you know, that um, people stop beating the bushes and think, well, you know, there's not many out there and all that. And, and if we don't say that number, then people keep looking for them. And every time they find one, it makes me happy. Well, I can understand. It's your little baby. 
And that's, yeah, it's just something that I never thought in a million years was going to be well known. I mean, I was a, I was a greaseball in a place in Brooklyn making a living and trying to support a young wife. Well, now let me ask you another question. Now, why is it you think that Baldwin Motion products, your cars, your Chevrolets, seem to be the most sought after, but yet you had companies like Nikki, you had Burger, you had Yanko, and yours are still the most sought after and the most recognized. I mean, and then I can't think of anybody on the West Coast that really did anything. I mean, you know, Nikki well, and Bill Bur- Thomas did. Okay, out in Bill, California. Bill Thomas built some cars, and I actually visited Bill Thomas's place after we got the the. Uh, he also built the sports car called the Cheetah. Yeah, and he was tied up with uh, a couple of drag racers, and uh, and and they built some cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick, Dickie Harold, to be specific. Okay, right. And and they and they built some cars, which were good cars, and all that. But but they never really took off as collector items. And then there was Burger Chevrolet, right? And 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 then there was Yanko. But the difference was is that Yanko was a sports car racer, a, a regular you know road race guy that was backed by Chevrolet, mm-hmm. and so he was one of the quote unquote good old boys. Okay. So he, being a Chevrolet dealer, got the factory to build him the cars. He didn't build the cars. Oh, really? Okay. Yanko did not build the cars. Uh, they may have done some stuff to the shop in the shop to him, but essentially, uh, they were selling him Copo cars. Okay. And, and and putting stripes on them. And the difference was that we didn't just put stripes on them. The the premise of our program was that. You could come in and get anything that you wanted. If you wanted a car with a with a tunnel rim, uh, you know, and a, and a big scoop on it, uh, and, and 488 gears, you got it. You know, if you wanted to buy a Corvette, it was one of my, my what we call the Phase Three package, or you wanted going all the way up to our Phase Three GT, which was my idea to build a car that would be competitive with a European Ferrari-type car and had all the body modifications and headlights out in the fenders and big white tires and fender wells and a, and a fastback rear window and all that kind of stuff, uh, well before Chevrolet had it, um, you could buy it from us. And so that's what really separated us from the rest of the guys is that, you know, you could go anywhere and buy... You know, a car like that between Nikki and and some of the other guys, Yanko and and Berger and 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 Harold, uh, but you couldn't get what we did. Well, the thing that also amazed me is you guaranteed that your cars would run, you know, low twelves or high elevens, money back guarantee. And then once somewhere I wrote that nobody ever came back. So that's well, an amazing story well, in itself. No, the, the, yeah, the, well, but the truth was that, you know, we told Baldwin Chevrolet that we wouldn't do the program unless they agreed not only to do the national advertising, but that they give me a race car, and they gave me a 67 race car, later on a 70 race car. But the 67, uh, we went out, and to the people that I got to know at Chevrolet, um, they gave me the very first of the factory L88 engines. 
Oh, really? And, you know, they you know they delivered them to Baldwin. Baldwin gave it to me, and it was a it was a real early L88s. And I determined that I was going to race the car using factory unblueprinted Chevrolet parts, just with my ignition stuff and headers and camshaft and and that kind of stuff. And we ran the national record and then set the record at, you know, like 11.1 and 10.9 and all that kind of stuff. And we were running a crate motor. And uh, so we showed everybody that if we could run 11.1s and, 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 and I was putting a similar engine based of course on the on the uh, uh the 427 but not necessarily the L88 unless they ordered an L88 that if I could run 1090s they could certainly run 115s and so I guaranteed that 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 with our driver on any track at any time with a set of slicks on it that our cars could run 115 and it wasn't that it was baloney it was yeah they definitely could with no problem. Now, for our listeners, tell them exactly what an L88 Chevrolet is. That motor. Well, an L88, the, the big engine with the Corvette at that time was a solid lifter, uh, 427 engine, 11 to 1 compression uh, that you could get uh, out of the factory. Now, was that aluminum head motor, the and, L88s? And, well, it was available with aluminum heads in an L88 version. Okay. Uh, there was a aluminum head L89. Okay. Version, uh, which on a 427 you had to do by buying the aluminum heads and putting them on, but they did deliver L89 type aluminum heads on the 396s. Right. Uh, and uh, so we we used those heads, and and uh, we used the, uh, the the factory L88 short block, and the difference being the L88 had a much more radical camshaft and it had 12 and a half to one okay and at that time you could get sunoco with 102 103 octane and uh we were able to do that we were able to run that and we were literally running what you could drive on the street and setting national records with it and that's how legends are made I guess it came about that way, yeah. Now you had a your your actual uh, actual gas station back then was a uh, Sunoco station, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. So just for giggles, what was the price of gas in nineteen sixty six? What was how much did Sunoco two sixty cost? Uh, it was down under well under fifty cents a gallon. Okay, it was probably down around twenty five, twenty eight cents a gallon. I know in nineteen six nineteen seventy two when I was driving. Uh, if you dialed up to 260, at, which was like you said, 102, 103 octane, it was like 31.9 a gallon. Yeah, 30, yeah. amazing. It was about 28 cents back, and 25, <laughs> 28 cents when I was selling it in Brooklyn. <laughs> Absurd. Uh, as an aside thing, by the way, when they came out with the uh, the Sunoco stuff, the Cam Two, uh, I was the very first Cam Two. Race gas distributor, and I, I out in in Baldwin. Uh, I I had all of downstate New York uh, because I saw that there was a real real future, in it, and I had everything coming in from everybody's race car on the way out to the track. Uh, 
to uh, you know the the open class race boats that used to come in to fill up with it. Oh, really? Speaking of which, did you ever do anything with uh, boats, with offshore boats? I I certainly did. Yeah. Really? Tell us about I that. Did. I I uh, I built some. Uh, Back in '69, I was given. Uh, I was contacted by a company down here in Florida uh, by the name of Champion Boats, called Champ Boats, and uh, they gave me a boat, and I put a motor in, and uh, it was a jet drive and all that kind of stuff, and I uh, and I ran that and uh, got publicity on that, and then later on, I did another boat that was a really, really nice boat that I got from the dealer and we built a bunch of them on Long Island and I know I know one that still exists that's up in Massachusetts that's a real if you will documented <laughs> motion boat uh, and I had the opportunity to buy some very very wild looking Italian made cruisers Italians were way 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 ahead in styling on boats than the rest of the world and in the early 70s, somebody brought some of these really wild-looking uh, hulls, Italian hulls, in uh, to try to sell them to people. And I went up and I bought three of them from this guy up in Hartford, New York, Hartford, Connecticut. And um, I put them together, and I built one for myself with a couple of 482s, which were 482s made out of 454s before the factory came out with 482 blocks. Uh, and uh, and we got a 13,000-pound boat, which would sleep six with a stand-up head and a shower and a galley and all that, and people, and it was running in the 60s with the two 482s. Wow. And, well, some, ni- and some nitrous. How long was the boat? How big a boat was it? And it, was, it was 32 feet. Oh, 32 feet, okay. Yeah, it was thirty-two foot sleep six boat. That's and, flying. And, and later on, I hooked up with uh, an outfit called Excalibur Excalibur Boats down here in Florida, uh-huh. Sarasota. Who knew who I was and was willing to work with me, and uh, I made some engines for it um, and sent the engines down to Florida and, and one of my guys to install them. Um, and and I bought one of the boats for myself, and I built some uh, Excalibur boats. And uh, this was in in uh, 1978. And in 1978, I had a twin 454 30 foot Excalibur with nitrous that ran in a in, in a race on Long Island. It ran 93 miles an hour, and I was running the same time as the open class race boat. Wow. And it was a ball. It was a ball because the, I mean, and the, and the car, the the boat handled incredibly well. I could take my hands off the steering wheel at ninety, you know. And uh, we had a lot of fun with that. A hell of a lot of fun with the boats. The first boat you did, the one you were talking about, the jet boat, was that a drag boat or was that a deep V boat? Also, the jet boat was a it was a it was a deep V boat, okay. but it was a drag boat, really. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's you know. It's, the 16-foot boat with a 482 back in 1969 was a lot of boat. How fast did that boat go in the quarter? Oh, geez, I don't, I don't remember what that was, but it was pretty damn quick. It was awfully quick. It was a lot of boat because the jet drive boats used to get out very well. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they used to get out real quick. Now, and, let's... Uh, let, let's we had a lot of fun with the boats. We did, we did, we did a fair number of, of boats that were not known for it. We, we had uh, a lot of uh, early success with it. Some of the guys that were my mechanics that put the boats together are still full-time in the boat business, uh, high-performance boat business, you know, like, like rigging ocean race boats and stuff like that. Well, now, now that you're down in South Florida, do you are you still in the boating a little bit? Are you still get out there once in a while? Or uh, no, I'm not. Uh, we're inland, unfortunately. Okay. Um, and uh, we're 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 on water. Our, my home is on the water, but it's not salt water. It's on one of the quote unquote Florida lakes. You know, the man-made things. And, gotcha. Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing you would get a uh, a little. Uh, rigid and inflatable with a trolling motor. You know? <laughs> well, now, what about in your personal collection? Do you have some really cool cars? I mean, some of your original... Well, I did. I did. did uh, until we got to the point just before we moved to Florida, and I... Um, there's a fellow by the name of Dan McMichael who owns about eight or nine motion cars up in Indianapolis. And he's a very, very, very bright guy. He owns the biggest restaurant in Indianapolis, and um, he decided he wanted a motion car, and there was a a uh, dealer upstate New York that was offering one for sale, and he was smart enough that before he bought the car, he called me up and said, I would like you to go up state New York, and I will pay you for your time, and I want you to document the fact that this is a real car. Well, uh, I went up there, and uh, coincidentally, it had been a car that was owned by an extremely, extremely wealthy guy who owned a major car collection up in Michigan um, and had a uh, five full-time mechanics taking care of his collection and all that. And I helped him restore this car and he didn't know it was that car until I got up to the dealer. And so there I was, and I said, whoa, I know that car. I helped restore the car. And so I told him, and, and, and then we became very, very good friends. And I said to him that if later on he'd ever decide that he wanted some more motion cars, that I had three of the best motion cars that I was able to buy back in, in in a period of uh, recession that we had in the uh, early early nineties, it was late late eighties. There was a recession, and I bought back the last car, new car that I built, uh, which was a Corvette that I had built with an L eighty eight, and um, it was one of my Phase three GTS, which was. At the time I built it, was for a major Hollywood player. Uh, it was actually sold. It was sold at the Warner Brothers, and it was it got cut, but it was in the Cannonball Run movie. Oh, really? Uh, and uh, then I also bought back a one of my real Mako Shark cars that I built, and I had the Mako and the Phase Three GT and. This uh, 74 last motion car uh, in my garage, and 
And one day he called me up and said, I want to buy them. And, you know, we were thinking of moving to Florida. And I said, hey, you know, if you want to buy them, I'll sell them to you. And he gave me what I want for them. And uh, he became a major motion collector. And there's been some television programs and considerable number of articles on his collection. And, um, matter of fact, he had two of them for sale recently at one of the Meekum auctions. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to him, but what, they, what, it, what happened at the auction, but, but he did have a couple of them up, and he's got a few more of them that he wants to restore, and uh, hopefully he'll continue on doing that. Okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit about the Oldsmobile program that you were involved with. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, in 1968, uh, Marty Shore, who I guess you really know, um, he was the editor of Cause Magazine, Rotter and Superstock and all that. He uh, was very friendly with the Oldsmobile factory, and he made Oldsmobile, in particular the 442, the car of the year. So that gave us access to the factory. And the factory decided that they wanted us to promote the Oldsmobile program like we were doing with Baldwin Chevrolet. And so they kind of made it clear that they would back the program and give me whatever that I need. And, and this was, of course, even to this day, was totally hush-hush, but it doesn't matter anymore. Um, and they actually even printed a, a uh, pamphlet on how to modify an Oldsmobile and how to p- get performance out of it. And then they took a booth for me with my race car at the, the old New York Coliseum show to give out these because they couldn't do it. We were adjacent to them, but they couldn't give the pamphlet out. That was against GM policy. So it ended up that they gave me a 442 W30 and a W31 car, and they gave me two tow cars, being the Vista Cruiser and an, a 442 Ram Air convertible, and we raced them, and we set the national record. And we were doing all fine until somebody at GM realized that I was racing these cars with a GM registration in my pocket. And that was, became a major no-no. <laughs> well, yeah, if I would have cracked up the car on the track, GM would have been liable for everything. So they decided that the cars had to be bought by a dealership and then given to me. And so they approached the old Mac Markowitz Oldsmobile in, in, in Hempstead and said, you know, are you going to do a program? And he went for it hook, line, and sinker, and he said, well, I see what Baldwin's doing, and and we'll do that. Well, we got to the point where we had all the publicity out. There was a, a, a total program running. We had a catalog that we put out, which is a very rare item in high-performance collecting these days. And... Um, what happened was one day I'm standing at the counter of the shop, and this is before I built the car. And somebody comes in and says, uh, I want to ask you some questions about the car that you built for me. Uh, I said, what car? He says, the Oldsmobile outside. Well, it push comes to shove. The story was that the guys that were racing out in the Hamptons and at, 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 at uh, Islip and all that stuff that worked in the shop convinced old man Markowitz that they could screw me and build all the cars for them right there in their shop. It took just that long, the number one car that they built, not a motion car, that they built, that they sold as a motion car for me to find out. 
so since Marty and I were in charge of the whole program, I called up and I said, screw you, you're out of it. And that was the end of it. I didn't need it. So when you were racing the Oldsmobiles that you built, what was the graphics on the side of the cars? What did it say on the side? Had a, my, my, my W30 car was a blue coupe, which you can buy a model for on, on eBay and and uh, uh, it's an Ertl model mm-hmm. uh, of that actual car. And it was a dark blue car with the gigantic motion supercar club thing on the side. And everything I needed, first of all, they built me two hand-built cars at the factory. And in the book, Tales of a Muscle Car Builder, uh, that Marty wrote, there's actually a picture of me with Marty and the engineers up at the Oldsmobile factory in Lansing, and I'm tuning one, believe it or not, in a sport jacket. Uh, I'm tuning an engine on a dyno. No kidding. So there's a picture of that in that book. Okay. But Markowitz blew a very, very, very lucrative program. And, um, hey, they're your cars, keep them. And then Oldsmobile, of course, immediately took them back. Now, the cars that you ran, you said you got a W30, which is a big block car, and a W31, which, uh, if I remember correctly, that's a, that's a small block, right? Right. And did you race both of them, or just yeah. the big block? Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I never get, the program was over too quickly to doing too much with the 350, but I did set the national record in English Town. Uh, I believe it was at English Town with the, uh, with the Oldsmobile. Okay, so then uh, supposedly the Oldsmobile that's running around it says motion commotion. Commotion was a shop job. Oh. Commotion was a Hearst Olds that a guy freaking gutted and ruined, and it's been through umpteen different owners, and I, at one point I think they even put a solid axle in it, <laughs> a solid front axle, but that was just a shop job. That was not a... There, there were no Baldwin Motion new Oldsmobiles other than the ones that I had from the factory. Okay. So basically, all you ever really built was Chevrolets, Corvettes, pretty much, Innovas. Couple, as new cars. As new cars. As and new cars, yeah. The Biscaynes, uh, Vegas, Corvettes, you know, the whole, the whole line. But there were no other, and outside of that little short little uh, venture with Oldsmobile that never materialized, there was never other, any other GM cars that you were actually involved with then? No. Okay. No other new cars. No. Okay. But you did do the Cobras there for a while, but that was early on, and that was just a, an independent thing that you did, correct? Well, not really. Uh, that started back in 1964 when I was in my gas station in Bedford-Stuyvesant, you know, Fort Apache, mm-hmm. uh, underneath the L in a 300 by probably 30-foot gas station. Uh, one day I had a guy come in because I had people, once I got the dyno, it was bringing in people from all over. Uh, and I did a lot of fuel-injected Corvette work. That was my big specialty because I had a, uh, I had a 58 fuelie that I got married in. Uh, I had a 64 fuelie. I had a 62 fuelie. And I had a, the first 63, which is shown again in Marty's book. And, uh... So I was really up on that, and I did a lot of tuning on that. And then one day a guy came in by the name of Bob Dayton, and Bob Dayton was the number one disc jockey in Manhattan and on the New York stations. And he was a car nut, and we got to be really close. And he was making a lot of money, way more than he ever thought he would. And he was a guy that turned over cars. You know, he bought it, he ran it, you know, he, he drove it. He got rid of it. So I bought a Cobra for $4,000, and it was gorgeous because he had it painted, repainted, and had it caddy fire red. 
Again, all of this is in that book. Um, so that started me off, and then the fellow that you probably know, Norman Gray, Storm and Norman, yes, mm-hmm. Mustangs and all that, mm-hmm. he came to me with his Cobra because he wanted to, he knew nothing. Norman Norman was a guy that literally, we, we were friends for many years. Norman, I had to tell him how to change a fan belt. You know, If he threw a belt off, he didn't know how to change it. All right? So he came down to me, and he said, oh, I just got this Cobra, and... Uh, I had it flown in 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 a box in an airplane and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to get you a dealership with Shelby. Well, me and my dirty, greasy overalls in a Sunoco station on Atlantic and Albany, in between the gunshots, I had an open account dealership with Shelby American. And we even placed the orders on the telephone, the pay telephone, at the end of the station. That's a great story. (laughs) <laughs> That's amazing. Shelby, the only one who ever knew that, Shelby didn't know it, but he had a, a, a manager, uh, the high-performance manager. Um, he was his performance manager, and he uh, uh, he really cooperated with us and sent us a lot of parts, and he told me, you know, help me with the Webbers and all that kind of uh, stuff. That, and, and to this day, he's really the only guy that ever actually found out which i told him at a sema show but in 2005 i met him when we had uh, that super coupe that we built was the uh, was the car of the year at sema and i met him there for the first time in 30 years and uh i told him the whole story he couldn't believe it that i was talking to him on a payphone on on atlantic avenue <laughs> that's cool <laughs> you know and the train would go by and you couldn't hear you'd have to tell him to hold on you know and and so we actually you know, we could buy parts from Shelby Direct, and uh, I got to tuning a bunch of them. And then I ran that car, and then I moved out to Long Island, and I ran that car out there. And then this story just came about. Uh, my son is in the business of selling uh, water gardening stuff. Um, he sells, like, you know, supplies for koi ponds, and he sells the fish and all that. He's got a big place he opened up uh, out on the North Shore. And just after he opened up, he tells me that some really, really wealthy guy came in and he wanted him to do a big job on a 14-acre piece of property where he's building this umpteen million dollar house. And he says he gave me his card and he said, uh, the guy says, do you know him? His name is James Cupola. I said, James what? I said, you mean Jamie Coppola? I sold him my freaking Cobra. It's my old friend. No kidding. This just happened within the last two months. No kidding. That's Jamie Coppola. You know, in Brooklyn, it's Jamie Coppola. Now now that he's out in Long Island, he's James Coppola. (laughs) So we got the hookup, and and I sold him my Weber carbureted Cobra. And the story goes that um, he wanted the car repainted in green. And he was a very wealthy guy, and his mother would give him anything, anything at all. And we painted it green. And he picked the car up for me. He painted, uh, after he painted, we painted the car. And he took it into Manhattan to show it to Norman, because Norman used to live in Manhattan. And he lost it on the Brooklyn Bridge. And he brought it back to me. He was shaking. He said, Joel, I'm scared shit. You've got to give me my money back. I, I can't have this car. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was a dragon snake. Yeah, fast. <laughs> you know, it was a fast freaking car. You know, it was an 11-second car. You know, back in those days, there was a street driver, and it was an 11-second car, low 11s, uh, even high 10s. Is, but, that, uh, is that car accounted for? He got his mother on the phone, and, and she said, Joel, you got to give him his money back. And with this family, you don't say no. They were very nice about it, but you don't say no. And she said, I'll pay to have your car repainted. 
And at that point, I took the car back and I painted it gold metal flake and, and started to run it in a modified class rather than double A sports, which I had, you know, a bunch of records in. So then we moved out to Long Island and I had the car out there. Again, pictures in the book. And a fella brought me out a 427 Cobra. And I built him a 427 Cobra. I built the headers. I built the. I took Coney shocks and I made them into drag shocks. Uh, I, I, I made a 427 Dragon Snake for this guy. We took the car and we drove the car from Long Island down to Atco, down South Jersey, near Atlantic City. We drove it down there. We changed the plug, and we put in a set. You couldn't get any bigger tires than that. We were running eight or nine-inch slicks we put on there. And we broke the national record by two full seconds on the first run. That's, uh, that's an accomplishment. And that car today belongs to a very, very, very wealthy multimillionaire out in California. And, and he was nice enough to bring that car to one of the shows that I did about two years ago uh, in, in Chicago, where they invited my wife and I to come up there for this display where we had 14 or 15 real motion cars there, including the King Cobra. And, and I hadn't seen that car since the 60s. Jeez. And, and there it was. It's like an old family reunion. Well, it was that, and also the 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 um, commotion Corvette was there mm-hmm. amongst all the other cars, and and not only that, but the guy after I the fellow that owned the Corvette, the commotion Corvette uh, was killed in Vietnam. Uh, two three days he was there, and that was it. And he was like a really really good friend to me. Very you know we loved the kid. Today oh, that's was still a, a sore point. And so we took the car, and two of the guys from. Baldwin Chevrolet raced the car in his name and set some national records with the Commotion Corvette. And now I haven't seen that car since the 60s. I had a chance to buy it, but the memories were too bad. The guy who owns it now has turned down a million dollars for the car. Literally, a million dollars for the car. It's a very famous car. It was even subject of a of a big gallery exhibition of photos on why war and what it does, uh, done by Marty Shaw's daughter, who is one of the foremost photographers in the world and so at any rate the commotion car was there at the chicago show and lo and behold there's a guy the guy that was driving it was there and i hadn't seen him he became a state cop and his name is billy foster and uh i hadn't seen him since the 60s and it was a big tearful reunion because it was a very very sad story of course well, that sounds like there was a lot of fun at that event. I mean, you know, it's nice that people come together like that and share old stories and reminisce uh, you know, about the good old times and the people involved, you know, which is very special often. And, uh, you know, and it's history. It's history with the cars, history of the people, history of the events. And uh sounds like uh, that was a great time. Well, Joel, we're just about out of time, but uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. You're involved with motion miniatures, and basically you motion build models. Or motion models, I'm sorry. Motion models, yeah. Tell well, us about that. I was always that. into models. Okay. Ever since I started building models, we used to go to a, a local little store with my father when I was probably eight or nine years old and buy these little wooden kits and put them together. And I started designing airplanes and flying them. What we used to call you control. You're flying around in circles and doing stunts and flying this combat where you fly against another another guy and you had a a, a uh, a trailing piece of like a tail behind the plane and you try to chop the guy's tail off <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And I was really into models and I've always been into models. And uh, I built a lot of models. 
when I was younger, including designing some of these models that I flew. And um, we were in the car business for a very, very long time. I was getting a little, little burnt, and um, I'd been building models all along. And I, my wife and I were in a Costco, and I saw a really beautiful model of an F4U World War II Corsair. And she went and bought the thing for me as a present. And I'm sort of an obsessive-compulsive kind of a guy, and pretty soon I had 200 of them in the den of our house on Long Island. <laughs> I bought some brackets and put them on the walls, and we had a den, a very large den, and we had 200 models all around all the walls. <laughs> And I bought so many models from these wholesalers that they started to sell me wholesale. And so I said, well, you know, I think I'd like to do this. So the same way as I did, like, for the car thing, I laid out some ads and, and, and started putting them in the magazines. And, and the same way I used to do my mail order, you know, for the parts, for the cars. And we started selling a lot of models. And one thing led to another, and we got to be fairly well-known. And then one day somebody called up and said, well, you know, um, uh, I, I'd like you to build a model of the new Ronald Reagan for the Reagan family. Um, I belong to this yacht club that the Reagans belong to, and we'd like to give the Reagan family a gift of the new thing, and we'll hook you up with the Navy, and you'll, you know, the, mod, the ship was still being built, and we'll get you what you need to build the ship. And so I did that. And then uh, using stuff that I had learned in the car business, that if you did an interesting car, you would do an article about it. And so we did the same thing and threw that model on the website that we created. And then one day somebody called up and said, uh, and, you know, people call up all the time and they say, my friend has this car, my friend has that. You know, this guy calls up and he says, um, I want to buy a model of the new uh, USS George H.W. Bush. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, sure, right. Um, it's still being built. Well, he says, I want to buy it from my buddy. I said, well, who's your buddy? He says, George. G George who? He says, oh, George H.W. Bush. So, huh. uh, I'm sorry. It was, uh, it was, I'm sorry, it was Gerald Ford. Uh, and, and Jeff Ford was dying, and this guy was, lived out in Palm Desert with Ford. And he said, there's going to be a model, uh, there's going to be a ship called the Gerald Ford. And when the Bush is done, you know, the, you know, the, the, the next carrier that is going to be done, which is being done now, is going to be the Gerald Ford. But he's not going to live that long. So would you do me a really big favor and sell me a model of the Gerald Ford? I said, well, you know, if the Ford Foundation can get me in with the Navy and get me the, you know, the something to work with. And I said that the only criteria is that you must get me a picture of the president with the model. Now, I already had a person, uh, pictures of uh, the Reagan family with my model, and the day after I delivered it, here comes a picture of Gerald Ford sitting with this guy, which is on my website, with the model. So then he calls me up, he says, you can't, you can't believe how ecstatic he is. Look at the smile on his face in the picture. He says, I want you to build a model for my other friend, George. And then I said, George who? And he says, oh, George H.W. <laughs> okay, at this point, I have to believe him. Because he already gave me President Ford. So the guy's got to be for real, and he was buying them anyway. He was paying for them. So 
President Ford was nice. President Bush was nice enough after we finished the model to invite my wife and I to Texas to his museum library at Texas A and M, and it was experience of a lifetime. And um, we had a photo op with him, and so he's up on there. And so you know, one thing leads to the other, and pretty soon the Navy's buying models, and the Coast Guard buying models. And I've made models for the Smithsonian and for for Ross Perot and for for Ellis Island National Monument of the ocean liners that brought our grandparents here in the 1890s and and all the people whose pictures you can see up on a website. And it's really like a fun business. It's kind of like working in a toy store. You know, every model is a new toy. That is a fascinating business, and that is. What's more fascinating is the people you come in contact with. That is absolutely amazing. What an opportunity, Joel. Hey, I grew up in a 75-hour-a-month apartment in Brooklyn, and I didn't have a car in the family till I was 17. And my father was working for $100 a week. you think I'd ever believe that I would be meeting all these presidents of the United States? I mean, you know, it's like a dream. That's amazing. Now, if somebody wants to find out more about your website, how do they find you, Joel? Motionmodels.com. That's super. Joel. One word, motionmodels with an S.com. We're just about out of time. Would you be willing to come on again? Because there's a lot of stuff I'd like to talk about. You know, car stuff, jumping around in history, some of the other stuff, some of the people you've met. Would you be willing to do that again? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, super. We can do that. Okay. We, I, we can do that. Okay. I'm going to start charging you, though. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll, we'll invite Marty on, too, because I know Marty's in Sarasota. He's part of the cafe. Yeah, Marty, Marty, I'm sure, would want to do something like that. Too. Okay, super. Now, I know you got to go to dinner, because this is Wednesday night, and you go to dinner with your wife. But at any rate, I, again, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to come on our show. Meanwhile, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure and tune in to our show next Wednesday at 7 p.m. for some of the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports. Be sure and check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, you can check out our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure and like us on Facebook. I want everybody to stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and we'll see you at some of the car shows. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you ten dollars if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. Listen.